Hello, everyone, and welcome to the newest edition of Insights with Ben Choder, where I get the privilege of picking the minds of some of the smartest people that I've met along the way. All of them have one thing in common. They're all authors um, of books, which makes me really excited because I am an avid reader, um, always trying to learn more, and I kind of go back and forth between fiction and nonfiction. Today, I am really excited because I've gotten to be on panels with this guest. I've gotten to know her a little bit, and I'm a big fan. She's written the book, The Leader You Want to Be, Five Essential Principles for Bringing Out Your Best Self Every Day. Amy Jensu, you have to buy this book. It is it is really good. I was able to read the book and um, in two sittings which is pretty amazing because what I have found during COVID is my ability to sit and just read a book has gone away. And pre-COVID, I would be on a plane, I'd finish a book, I'm on a flight to San Francisco or a flight to London. And then during COVID, being able to concentrate on a book with everything going on, I, I haven't been able to, but this is one of the books I was able to in two sittings. Why don't we bring Amy on? Amy, how are you? I'm well. It's so great to be here, and thank you so much for that kind introduction. No, it's, it's listen. First of all, I love this, and one of the things I love just when you when you read the title is um, one of the authors that I interviewed in the past um, said something that's always resonated with me: is I want to be the leader that I want my son or daughter to eventually work for. Right, a leader that's not going to be easy on them. Not going to be ultra tough on them. It's going to be fair, but leave them with something. And as a leader, I've always prided myself on my goal is one is I want to come into an organization and make it better than it was before I was there. But more importantly, if employees can take one thing that I did to their next venture or their next job, that nothing would make me happier because there's this saying that you die twice, right? You die the first time when you actually die, but you die the second time when they stop talking about you or mentioning you. And I just want to be the best possible leader. Um, so why did you write this book, most importantly? Well, Ben, I really appreciate what you just said there, right? That all of us, leadership really isn't a title. In some ways, we're all leaders of our families and our homes and our communities. Is we have the opportunity to pause and really think about who's the person and leader I want to be across those various domains of my life, and what's that impact and ripple effect? What do I want to telegraph out into the world? And so I wrote the book because I personally, as a parent, as a leader, as a professional, sit in that question myself. I've had the great opportunity to ride alongside thousands of leaders over the last 20 years of being a coach where I have um, been in conversation with people around that question. So it just felt like it was time to codify everything I had learned and heard across all these great people trying to make a difference and do the right thing and to say, what have I learned and how can we impart that more broadly to a greater base of people? Well, you definitely did that. And I have a bunch of questions I want to ask you. Before When you were started writing the book, was it always five essentials or at one time was there a sixth or a seventh? Did you drill it down? Like, like, How did you come up with the five and why isn't it six or seven? That is such a great question. We really wrestled with, you know, what's the right number? What's the set of things? 
Uh, I had the good fortune of working with HBR Press, and so my editors there, we had lots of dialogues around what are we hearing from leaders out in the trenches every day, and what does the management literature seem to suggest? What was my anecdotal base of leaders that my firm and I were working with? What were the common denominators that kept showing up? And even went back into sort of ancient you know, traditions to say what seems to show up whenever you think about high performance or self-mastery. And so, you know, we name them lots of different things, but when all was said and done, the most common denominator were these five things. I want to jump into a question because I yeah. think this is, especially, listen, if you haven't read the book, read the book, but after you hear these answers, I think you're going to make you want to read the book. What are leader A and leader B modes, and how is the mix of the two part of the leadership experience? Leader A and leader B was my way of trying to describe kind of the overall leadership experience for all of us. So we all have, the punchline is we're all leader A and leader B. And Ben, you and I both have a leader A mode where, you know, you wake up in the morning and somehow no matter what's thrown your way, even if it's something difficult or a challenge, somehow you don't resist the moment. Your first response to that moment is openness, is effectiveness, is what's the most constructive path forward. And somehow you like ride that wave and you know you're bringing your best self. And look, we all wake up in the morning. We have leader B mode where, again, when a challenge or decision or whatever's thrown our way, somehow we meet that moment, not our best selves. In fact, we're more reactive Perhaps our perspective is more limited. It feels like we're swimming against the current. And what ends up showing up to our families and to our colleagues is a much more reactive, high-stressed, not clear decision-making leader. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes I'll have leaders say to me, hey, I think I do a decent job at work bringing my leader A self. And sometimes it's actually our families who know our leader B selves all too well. I think after this year of working from home, Ben, if you talk to my husband and 15-year-old son, they could tell you in excruciating detail what Leader B looks like for me. My wife thinks I am only Leader B, and she's amazed how I could run an organization of 1,400 people being B because I have nothing left. When I sit with her at dinner after 16 hours of doing this and being being A, it, it's just not always there. Being present is one of the things that you, you have to change. Do you think most leaders know that they have both? Or are we so blind to who we are that we don't see both sides in general? That's such a great question. I think we all have this intuitive sense of this fleeting, shifting. It can it just even in a given meeting. Kind of, mm-hmm. wow, I, I really, that was the right response and an impact that I intended to have. And we all have this sense of coming out of the day, oh, those two things didn't quite go the way that I planned. My hope is just by giving language to the fact that we have these two modes, it increases self-awareness to say, right, I have a choice every day, every moment when I send that email, when I join that meeting to say, who's going to show up today? My leader A best self or this more reactive, stressed, overwhelmed version of myself. I love that. And I, and I, and it's funny because it resonates because I feel it every single day. I mean, even pre COVID. I mean, COVID just adds a, you know, explanation point at the end of it, but even pre, how do you do it? And it goes into, you can't motivate two people exactly the same way. How do you communicate to, this group differently than that group? How do I communicate to my engineering team differently than to the sales organization? 
there is so much thought that goes into it, but coming with the A attitude, and, and I think that's what's great about A, a lot of it is the attitude that you come with is, is so important. All right, so there's five principles. Just for the audience, um, what are the five principles? The five principles are first and foremost purpose, and that we put that one right at the top to your earlier question, that at the end of the day, we as leaders and people need to stay connected to the North Star. You know, the difference you wanted to make five years, ten years ago is different than the difference you want to make today. And also, you know, what is jazzing you right now? So staying connected to our purpose is so critical and the first principle. Following right from that, Ben, is process. And process sounds a little nuts and bolts, trains on time. But without ritual and good process and healthy calendar management, we can't guarantee that our time and energy is focused in the right place. The third principle is people. You know, the thing I've learned is no matter how productive or how capable you are, we all hit a capacity limit. And so you just can't do everything yourself. So having a great team, building great teams, building followership, having that great network of support, critical to leader A. Then the last two principles shift to kind of our inner world, if you will. So they're called presence, principle four, and inner peace, uh, number five. And really, we added those two to your question around, was it three, was it five, was it six? We felt like these last two principles were critical because even when you have a ton of success, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to enjoy the ride along the way. So we felt like it was critical to address that part of the leader A attitude, as you mentioned, and lens was how do you cultivate being more present? How do you cultivate that inner peace within yourself? Do you think being a good leader, you also need to be a really good listener? Absolutely. I think listening, especially as you become more seasoned and more senior, listening is so critical and it requires that we're within our whole self. And so many of us only ever listen at level one. Level one is what you and I are doing here. You know, we're nodding, we're making eye contact. Some of us get to level two where we're listening deeply to the issues that our team and colleagues might bring. But I think the goal is for all of us to reach deep in and say, can we hit level three where I'm listening with my whole body for the agenda under the agenda, for the motivations at play, for what's unspoken? Uh, I think that's really critical for leadership. So so in your coaching, and let's use me an example. So I've never been coached, obviously, and I probably need it as much as anyone. How long does it take you or meeting me, how would you assess me? to get to a point to get me to level three and realize that he's not even at level one yet. What goes through your mind when you're meeting, you know, a coachee the first time? When I'm meeting someone for the first time, I'm getting a sense of first, where do I sense their center of gravity is, A or B, right? It's not about being leader A 100% of the time, but I am trying to sense, like, how grounded and how centered is this person, I'll ask a lot of questions to get just a general sense of their overall self-awareness of where they are as a leader, how much of their capability to be reflective exists. And then we always couple the coaching with 360 feedback to really understand, based on what the leader is sharing with me, does in fact that match up to how others experience that person? I think think that's, that's spot on. All right. So I learn best from stories, and I like that you you putting several stories inside the book. My favorite story is the 
I guess it's the Cherokee legend about the two wolves. Can yeah. You, can you tell us that story? That story is so near and dear to my heart and honestly was the inspiration for this whole idea of A and B. And the story goes that a grandfather is sitting with his grandson and he's sharing this wonderful story about two wolves. And he shares with the grandson that, you know, we all have these wolves inside of ourselves, and one wolf is anchored in anger and envy and pride um, and, you know, ego, really. And the other wolf is anchored in our joy and our peace and our humility. And I think in leadership terms, kind of when we feel like servant leaders. And the grandfather explains to the grandson, we all have these two wolves that are fighting inside of us. And so the grandson pauses and says, well, Grandpa, we have these two wolves and they're fighting. Like, who wins? And the grandfather says to the grandson, the one that you feed. And so I love that this idea that what we choose to feed and how we choose to feed ourselves is often the answer to how we'll flourish and who we are and and how we choose to show up in the world. If I'm more of a B and I've been feeding the B side, are there tricks or are there a way to train me, you know, at my age, you know, at 50 years old, can I be trained now to be more A? A hundred percent, yes. And I, it starts with the thesis that we're all whole people to begin with. And so when I meet a leader, and I'm turning 50 this year, so I'm almost right there with you. Um, when I first meet a leader, leader B, even if that's the pervasive uh, place the leader's starting in, it's really just they've lost access. So joy is available to all of us. Listening is available to all of us. A a certain attitude and lens is available. And so it's really around helping the person just access everything that is already there and to understand what's happening in their external game and world that might be leading them to cope more through leader B than leader A. I love that. Um, So another important book, a part of the book that I really loved is when you talked about the inner spectator. Um, and why it's so important. I'd love if you shared it. I think one of my, and again, it's, it feels like this is a therapy session for me now, but it, it's just, I don't think I spend enough time using my inner spectator. And I think I can because I know I also think if you don't use your inner spectator a lot, you're really missing a lot of the journey along the way. But I love why, why it's important in the book and, and share what an inner spectator is. The concept of inner spectator, uh, Ben, really came from the, this whole movement and trend in mindfulness. Uh, some traditions call it the inner observer, uh, the one who's not busy inside. I like this idea of spectator because you can almost envision, right, leaders, you're out on the field, you're playing the game, you're driving the ball down the field. And every now and then we just need to pause from all that action and step aside and be able to watch ourselves almost to say, hey, if I were to watch a movie of myself from the last two weeks, what were those moments that I was my best self and I was effective and I was who I wanted to be? And what were those mindsets and what were those behaviors? And what was it about that week that made it a great week? Did I get extra sleep? Did I prep differently? Did I have a different mindset? And so I think as leaders, who all of us love data. It's amazing to me how so many of us make business decisions off of data. So I'll say to my leaders that I work with, hey, be the inner spectator for a couple of weeks, come back with data at our next session, and let's look at 
you know, kind of how your week went and let's analyze it so that then you can make better choices going forward. That's another great point. All right. So now let's talk not such on the positive side. What are some of the pitfalls? I think you have four pitfalls of doing and how do those contribute to us being more B than A? Four pitfalls in some ways, Ben, are autobiographical. So I'm the first to admit I don't have this figured out and I am susceptible as all of us are especially when things are busy and the pace is fast and, hey, we're all still living through a pandemic, uh, we're very susceptible to the four. And the four are, the first is just do more, right? We have this faulty assumption that somehow if we just keep adding to our to-do list, that that equals value add or uh, progress. And that's just not true. The second pitfall is just do it now. You know, somewhere in our minds, we're like, man, if everything's a fire drill and I can just somehow cross off more items on the to-do list, that that to-do list will end. And that's also not true because, as we know, as leaders, the to-do list never ends. Uh, the third pitfall is I'll just do it myself. And so, again, I think in a world where it's tempting to say, yes, you, Ben, yes, me, Amy, might be able to do something faster or better than somebody on our team, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should do it yourself, but we can convince ourselves, let me swoop in there and take this back from one of my team members. And then the fourth pitfall is I'll just do it later, that somehow our health, our loved ones, uh, things we cherish and want to spend time on, hey, I'll get to that later one day. Uh, and those are the four pitfalls that I think every day I know I fall into one of them when I'm not careful. I think they've followed me all four of those throughout my entire career. Up until now, I think I finally have an executive leadership team that I've empowered to the point that it's okay. easy for me to say, I don't have to do it, they can do it. I don't have to do it, and they can actually probably do it better than I can do it. And being, oh. I've become more, I think as I've gotten older, I've become more self-aware and that is, you know, as I read your book, it, a lot, so much of it resonated with me because I go, oh, yeah, man, when I was in my 30s, no one could do it better than me. I'm going to do it. And now at the point I'm right now, I'm like, no, I want to empower. Part of my job is to empower yeah. and, you know, make myself in a lot of ways redundant. And that's and actually making yourself redundant empowers you because then you can start thinking about the bigger things about about your organization I also love that you talk about in a book about purpose and it stuck with me. And how does purpose evolve as we go through life? Because I thought about my career, my purpose when I was in my 20s to my purpose now. And I was like, I didn't even realize it until I was reading the book why it was so important. I do love this idea that our purpose is not static. Right. And it makes a lot of sense because we as humans are not static. And so our purpose has to evolve along with us. And I do think, Ben, as you mentioned, the key is how do you stay in touch with that? How do we figure out what's my purpose at any given chapter in life? And so in the book, we describe two key filters that I have found in working with leaders can be very helpful clues to what our purpose is at any given time. And the first is, for example, Ben, if I asked you, hey, what is your highest contribution? What's the difference you're hoping to make. And I, I'm hearing a lot that you've already shared in terms of how you're uh, developing your team and empowering others. And so for each of us, it's important to pause and say, at this moment in time, what is that difference I'm hoping to make? And very closely connected with it, you can also track purpose to, hey, where's your passion right now? Like, 
if we went back and looked at your Outlook calendar from the last week and I said, walk me through the meetings where when you left, you felt an energy boost. You came out of that meeting feeling a bump in energy. Those are all great clues to where purpose exists now. It's very interesting because if I just, as you were saying, I was looking back at my calendar for last week. I think it's worth people on my, in my organization. I was in there and I put the spectator hat on, right? And yeah. saw them excel. You get off yeah. of those so jazz because it's like, we're all like when you're in rhythm with your team and, and yeah. your organization layers down to me, that's, that's the magic. And then I want to, I want to move to another part because this is something that I think is, Followed me also throughout my career, the fear of asking for help. Because mm. why I read it as as a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of weakness at all. But I and I always stress to my entire global organization: see something, say something, share. There's no silos in the organization. It's mm-hmm. only going to make us better. The worst we could ever do is say no because of this reason. But you got to ask for for the help. Why are we all, especially leaders, so hard, it's so hard for us to ever ask for help? It can be so hard to ask. I think by defining ourselves as a leader, somehow we think we have to have all the answers. And that's just not true. Yes, we bring great strength, but we're all always learning as well. And so, as you mentioned, just that self-awareness around, am I not asking for help because I'm worried I'm going to seem vulnerable or needy or maybe owe someone a favor thereafter? I've had leaders share with me sometimes that they're, they feel awkward to reach out for help because they don't want to burden their colleagues. Hey, I know my colleagues are really busy. Should I really be reaching out to folks? So I think to your point, number one, just to recognize, hey, yeah. when do we feel vulnerable and how do we recognize that that's part of being a leader? That we're leading and learning always at the same time. It's funny when you say that because in the organization, so, you know, there's 1,400 people in my organization. So when one of my direct reports will come to me and they will say, hey, do you need any help with anything? Um, can I help you with this? I used to take it as, hey, what do you mean? You don't think I can handle this? Like you, you think I need your help? And then I realized it's like people love if you pass responsibility on. It's, it's a sign of trust. It's a, a sign of engagement. And I've slowly embraced it, but it never, it doesn't come easy because you do take it as a, hey, you don't think I'm good enough for this. Right. Yeah. No, it's important to do that. And I think also, you know, getting comfortable with knowing how to make a good ask or uh, the right ways of asking for help. So really uh, taking the time to think about who is this person? What's an appropriate ask? If somebody has helped you, I always say to folks, don't forget to loop back uh, to let them know how you use the information they provided or perhaps someone made an introduction. Loop back and say, hey, just wanted to let you know I talked to your colleague that you made that great introduction to. I was able to really benefit from that. Thank you. Uh, that can go a really long way. One of the um, areas that you talk about the book is the ability to being at peace. Mm. What, what does that mean, at peace? And, and, and why, again, is that also really important for a leader? Ben, the chapter on peace is probably the one most dear to my heart that I really most hope for people uh, that I work with and anyone listening into our conversation today. It's so important because I've watched and worked with so many leaders who have dedicated so much of their working hours and life uh, to their organization, to their teams. They have tremendous external markers of success. 
uh, by all measures. And yet when you talk to them privately, there's a sense that they can't give themselves permission to just taste the joy of life or to have a moment of satisfaction. I'll often start a coaching meeting with, okay, Ben, before we jump into the, like our meeting here, I want you to pull up that Outlook calendar and let's take two victory laps together. I want to hear about two things you were really proud of or excited about this week. And so I think coming to peace with ourselves and realizing that the clock does not go back to zero every time we take on a new job or we find ourselves in a new situation, we are bringing our whole selves. We have to take stock of that, remember who we are, and to be able to settle into, hey, I no longer need to prove myself. And so now I can optimize for meaning for us. servant leadership for having a certain kind of impact. Um, and that kind of release is what I most hope for when I work with folks. Does it come most of the time? Do you get to the point with most most clients to that point where they are or they can actually understand their peace, like be happy at moments? Or is that is that the hardest thing to get through to a leader? I would say that's the hardest work. Um, I would say I'm in that part of the process and journey myself personally. And so it does require that we're willing to go to places where we realize, wow, that inner critic that's been driving me and motivating me for a long time is really unkind. Like it's kind of amazing to me, the dialogue we all carry with ourselves. And so it, it is deeper work. It's harder work. Um, but the moments where I see clients have joy, or they are able to just cut themselves a break. Those are some of my best moments in the coaching work. You know, it's interesting when you say that because I'm when I, I'm again, I don't want to always make it about me, but it's, it's since it's, it feels, it's an easy flow talking to you is I know my success here. Like I could see it out there and I understand it, but I always beat myself as like, what could I have done better? Right. What did I do enough? Like I used to say, I, or I still say all the time, when I go to bed, there's three things I think about, right? Um, one is, did I do right for my employees? Did mm-hmm. I, you know, did I fight the right battle for them all day? Mm-hmm. Two, did I fight the right battles for our clients, right? Um, and I've learned more and more, you fight the right battles for your employees, they're going to take care of your customers. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is, did I do everything I could for the shareholders of this organization, you know, we're privately equity owned. So for, for Apollo and our, my global boss, and did I do enough for them as opposed to lying in bed before you go to bed and go, wow, look what I was able to su- succeed today. Look what we accomplished today. Yes. And it's really a hard thing to sit back and go, yep, I know what I'm doing. Life is pretty good. Really hard. And, and really in this idea of wholeness, I, I appreciate and applaud the questions you ask yourself from a continuous improvement, hold a high bar. Uh, I hear a lot of responsibility and accountability to all your various stakeholders. And how do we balance that and give ourselves permission to oscillate to moments of, hey, you know, I've been at this for a long time, you know, I can trust my instincts. I can trust that I'm bringing the right judgment to the team. And so finding that balance, um, I think, is really critical. So one last question, not so much about the book, but how have you seen leaders that you work with? What has been the biggest change in them during COVID? And 
you know, not being able to go see their teams, not being able to travel. I have most been able to, you know, cr- you know, the new norm has been okay with them or do a lot struggle with it. You know, I think early on in COVID, we saw executive teams and leaders really rise to the occasion, meet the crisis, pivot, make tough decisions, bring the organization along. Uh, and I think now in this last three to six month period, you're starting to hear more and more people talk about burnout, uh, you know, video fatigue. I think those things are very real. And so I think folks are trying to understand, wow, there is a much longer tail to this. And so how do I continue to drive connectivity? How do I continue to find energy within myself? I'm hearing a lot of wariness, to be perfectly honest. So a lot of people who've been able to put Leader B in the closet for a long time. Leader B is slowly creeping out of the closet just because of the circumstances we're under. I think that's a hundred percent true. So I, when I look at sort of your drain feed ratio, as COVID has continued on, our drain ratio is going up. And so my, you know, hope for everyone is to coming out of this conversation, pausing to think about, you know, hey, how do I, Keep adding to the battery. What do I need to mix up in my own life? And where are the small joys? We brought our team. Um, I lead a team of 25 folks with my colleagues um, and a couple of my business partners. And we brought the whole team together last week. And we said, all we want to do for this hour is to hear what's sparking joy for you. And people shared things like their French press coffee press and that morning cup of coffee or their favorite Netflix a show that they were watching. Um, and I think it was just an, an important moment to bring some lightness uh, back into the equation. I, I agree. I agree so wholeheartedly on that little things that bring you joy, sharing it. We try to do that throughout our entire organization. This half an hour has flown by. This has been one of my favorite interviews to date. And it's not just me saying it. This is an incredible book. If you're not, if you're a leader or you want to be a leader or you just want to see what people are thinking, great book to, to read. Um, Amy Jen Sue, thank you so much for spending time with us today. This was so much fun. Thank you. And thank you so much. This was so much fun. I was so happy to be here. So All right. thank you. Stay safe. You too. Take care.